morning. It's been a, it's been a great morning so far. Tough act to follow. So, um, but welcome to Crossroads. If you're visiting with us, um, this is how it normally is. We just kind of make it up as we go. And, um, God's here, and uh, it's it's definitely a family. And, and I think that's just come out over and over again um, this morning. It's just relationships. So, uh, I have a question. Why why do we come to church? Why do we gather? As a church, why do we gather as a body of believers? Why do you wake up um, early this morning and brave the cold and and come through those doors and gather here? Yes. Encourage one another. Fellowship, community, worship, to learn. Obedience for coffee. Part of the body, yeah, yeah. I think all of those, um, all of that, um, and and I want you to maybe just think a little bit, make it personal. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? What did you come for? Um, and I think what is what has happened, and a lot of what we said, is that the gospel. A lot of your answers um, reflect this: that the gospel is relational. The gospel is relational. At its, at its core, the, the good news of salvation is relational. Um, and, and it's always, the gospel is always expressed. Think about this. The gospel is always expressed in relationship. Okay? And it starts with God Himself. It's, it starts with God. Um, what was God doing before creation? What was God doing for eternity before creation? I mean, have you ever thought about that? What was he doing? Like, because there's eternity before creation. And so, do, do you think God was kind of lonely and waiting and, and maybe bored? No. What was he doing? He was hanging out. <laughs> so, so, we talk about the Trinity. He was in fellowship. He was in community. He was in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for, for eternity, before creation, you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit hanging out in community, in relationship, in fellowship. Um, so John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning. And that's not talking about creation. That's talking about before creation. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when, when God says, we're going to create man... Listen to what he says. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Can I listen carefully? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so the Trinity is there at creation. The us and the our. The, that's, that's not just one person. That's the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in community, in fellowship before creation. And so then man is created in the image, in the likeness, in relationship, in community. And so, uh, yeah, for eternity before creation, God is in, re in relationship. Um, and that's beautiful. And so then we're created, and, and we're created, and think about, go back to Eden, we're created to um, fellowship with God. And I'd love to know how much time after Adam and Eve are created, 
How much time is there between that and the fall? And how many evenings, because it said that, that God, and it sounds like it was almost like a, a little routine they had, God would come and walk in the garden in the cool of the night, cool of the afternoon. And so how many times did Adam and Eve go and walk with God? Ever been on a long walk with a good friend? Just the conversation that happens? Um, my, my parents live at the beach, and there's a lot of people you see it. Um, every afternoon in the cool of the evening, kind of the wind dies down in the afternoon and, and people go and walk on the beach. And so imagine that, just walking through the garden or walking on the beach with Jesus. That was how it was designed. That was what it was meant to be, us in community with God. No, no shame, no fear, no sin. Just in community, in fellowship, hanging out. I like that word. So that's a theological word, hanging out. Um, intimate relationship with God, just enjoying His presence, enjoying each other's presence, Adam and Eve, no shame, no fear. Um, it, you know, can you picture that, that, just the relational part of that, no hiddenness, um, no drama or stress? I mean, can you imagine what Thanksgiving meal would be like in that situation, you know? None of the drama and the, the, all the stuff. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? It'd be really amazing. Pure, open, honest relationships. But we know um, from, from what happens is that sin enters and sin destroys. Sin distorts relationships. The relationship between us and God and us with each other. Between us, mankind and God, and within mankind. Between Adam and Eve, that relationship is broken and disrupted and, and distorted and damaged and, and that affects our relationships today. We, we struggle with relationships. But the design is still there. We're still designed for relationship. We're still designed um, for relationship with God and with each other. And, and so that's important. And um, I, th I think, you know, we have to be honest that when things get messed up, what do we tend to do? Go silent. Yeah, we tend to go, we, we tend to isolate ourselves. Like if, if, I'm, if I'm having issues with Jason, then, then I'm just not going to spend time with Jason and I'm going to isolate myself from him. If I'm having issues with the church, do you think I'm going to come? No, what happens is folks just disappear. They just, just go to ground. They just go silent. And, and so that's, that's our tendency is that we, we isolate, we, we, we move away when relationships are hard. Um, and that is why it's important for us to continue to gather, to continue to work out these relationships. And so we, we gather as a community, we gather as a, as a congregation, as a fellowship to hang out, to hang out with God and to hang out with each other, to commune with God, to, to, to relate and to be intimate with God in terms of worship, studying His Word, enjoying Him, and as well to, to get to know each other to spend time with each other, because I think there's something that holy that happens when we gather together. Um, we, we kind of speak to each other, and we affect each other, and, and God uses each other. Look around this room. God uses us to affect and change and mature and grow us. He uses each other to refine us, to challenge us, to disrupt us and to keep us from being isolated. 
And so, so there's, there's something very cool. God is, God is working in your life to mature you, and He's using us to do that. But not only that, He's also using you to work in my life and in everyone else's life. So, so you come here to be changed, but you also come to be part of that change, to be part of changing each other. And so um, you need to be here. Because if you're not, <laughs> there's a piece missing um, and the puzzle isn't finished. So you need to be here because we need you to, to refine and challenge and, 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 and speak to, to me and, and to each, each other here. We need you here. So at, at its core, the gospel is relational, okay? It is. Um, this relationship between God and ourselves and each other. And, and it's kind of like this, it's not just up and down and vertical, but it's, we were praying this morning and, and we were just having a great time and, and I'm, other men around me just kind of lead me to be more intimate with God and we start talking about things. And it, so we need each other to, to worship better, to, to enjoy music together. Um, it's, it's great. So there was a young man, a, a young Jewish man who, who did not understand this, um, that, that relationships, that God is relational and that relationships are at the core of the gospel. He did not understand this. He was a Jewish man um, and, and somehow he was, he was there when Jesus came and he missed this. He missed it. He didn't understand God's desire for relationship. And so when God himself came to the Jews, he failed to recognize it. He was, um, he was locked into a system of religion, a system of doing better, working it out, being better, making things work, a system of self-effort, a whole, a whole way of, of relying on himself to, to look better, to feel better, to, to appear better. And um, not only did he miss God himself coming to earth, he opposed it, and he worked against it, and he spent his life trying to destroy this thing, this, this movement, um, because this movement that was changing lives and was, was bringing people into relationship with God and with each other was destroying his little system, his neat little system that he, that he, he was so locked into. And so um, the gospel started disrupting his world, and he opposed it. His name was Saul. The name today is Paul, um, author of the book of Romans. We're back in Romans, okay? And um, Paul gets busy, or Saul gets busy destroying the church, destroying the gospel, destroying these relationships that the gospel is, is, is creating and transforming. And so he, he gets a letter from um, kind of his bosses in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, and he's on his way to Damascus with this letter to go and round up the believers, to go and, and, and round up some Christians, okay? He's on his way to Damascus, and, um, and I was thinking, what was Paul like? Have you ever thought about that? What was, what was the Saul guy like before he becomes Paul? Um, we know that he was there at Stephen's stoning, and, and he, he was just enjoying that. Um, what was he like? Definitely. I think there's some terms or some words I could use for him that I probably shouldn't repeat here. But I don't think that, that Saul was a very nice man. 
I think he was, he was angry and, um, and opposed to, to, to anything good. And he was so locked into his, his, this religion, this thing of, of making it work for himself, that when he saw life there, he wanted to kill that. He wanted to destroy that. I don't think Saul had many friends. I don't think he was, pretty, I don't think he was very good at relationships. I think he was so busy with his agenda, so driven to, to destroy things that he didn't agree with, that, that he didn't have many friends. I think he was so into this organization and system that, that he probably didn't have a lot of time for friends. And so Jesus gets hold of him right before he gets into Damascus, okay? Uh, Acts chapter 9. Um, notice what Jesus says to him in Acts chapter 9. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Okay? So Saul's on his way to Damascus to go round up a bunch of Christians. He's hoping to lock him up and bring him back to Jerusalem, destroy the church. And Jesus shows up, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, Saul, why are you going to Damascus? But he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? See what Jesus did? He just got it in Paul's face, and he made it personal. He said, this is not about you going to do this to the church or round up Christians or, 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 or those people. This is about you and me, Paul. This is about you and I. And so Jesus gets face to face with Paul. And he says, and he gets personal. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, Saul, this is about us. This is about you and me. This is relational. And, and thus starts a transformation in the life of this man. And I believe he goes from, from a person who, who probably did not have many friends and was probably not very much liked by the people who were around him, to a man who, who has many, many friends, and a man who has deep relationships, and a man who, who learns to love, a man who is transformed from hating and persecuting to giving his life for others, a man who is loved by God and knows that and, and loves God and is all in for the gospel. Saul is transformed, and a product of that transformation is his relationships. He has deep relationships, and, and, and we see this um, in his letters. We get to see the product of this transformation in his letters as he expresses his relationships to, to the believers in, in Rome, to the believers in Corinth, to believers in Ephesus, to the believers in Philippi. He, the, these letters are expression of the transformation that's happened in his life because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ meeting him on the road to Damascus. And so now his relationships are different, okay? And, and, and this guy who used to hate, now he has relationships and has friends with, with slaves and wealthy people. <coughs> he doesn't care. He knows slaves and he's friends with them. He knows wealthy people and he's friends with them. Young and old people. Um, think of Timothy, who's young, and, and, and some of the older folks. Um, Jews and Gentiles. I mean, you talk about crossing the line. Jews and Gentiles. And he's, he's like, hey, we're friends. Men and women. And we'll see in, in, in Romans chapter 16, and that's where we're going to be looking at this morning, Romans chapter 16. He, he, he has relationships with this diverse group of people. Jews, Gentiles, free men, slaves, wealthy, poor, men, women, married, unmarried. Um, and Paul is, is just, he sets this example of the gospel changing his relationships 
and, it, and it's great. And so, yeah, we get to enjoy uh, the product of these relationships in these letters, okay? Um, and, and so, as we read Romans and as we read all of Paul's letters, we've got to remember that these letters are personal because the gospel is personal. The gospel is relational, and so these letters are relational. They're not written to an organization or a board or a, a university or something like that. They're written. When Paul is, is writing them, he has men and women in his mind, and he's, he's writing these letters to people, to them, to individuals. This is not, I don't know how much mail you receive, but you know, you, you get kind of that mass email or like spam. You don't even bother reading it. It's like, ah, that's not for me. Or you, you get organizational emails, and you're like, I'll put it in my box, and I'll read it later when I have to. Um, this is not a, a mass mailing. This is a personal letter. And Paul's letters are personal. They're relational. So, Romans chapter 16. We're going to be reading there. I want to pray before we read. Jesus, as we read your word, as we read uh, this personal letter uh, from, from Paul to the churches in Rome, Lord, not only is it personally from Paul, it's personally from you. Father, Scripture is, is, is God-breathed, it's from you. And you transformed this, this man, gave him a new name, Saul to Paul, and you transformed his relationships. So, Father, would we be able to just look at his relationships and, and see the transformation, enjoy the transformation? And, Father, would you open your word to us? Would you speak to us through your word this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 16. And I'll read verses 1 through 16, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. So he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. <clears throat> I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their life for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet, all right, this is getting hard now, Asyncritus, Legon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nureus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. 
So this is the last part of, of Romans, the letter from Paul to the churches in Rome. And, and, and we'll unpack this. Um, but but you've got to remember that when Paul was writing the previous 15 chapters, and he didn't have chapters, okay? But as he was writing the letter, everything that we've read up to now in Romans, these are the people he was thinking about. These are the people that he was addressing. When he was dealing with some of those issues, these are some of the people that came to mind. And, and, and he writes this letter, and he, and he sends this greeting to them. And so he takes time to mention their names. He knows their names. And I think that's a beautiful thing, is when you know someone's name, something happens. It's, they know my name. They, they value me. They care. And so this letter would have been read aloud, um, passed around and read aloud in these groups. And there would have been a group of 20, 30, 40, 100 people, I'm not sure. And, and this letter would have been read. And there might have been some people who, who hadn't heard the letter yet, and yet their name was mentioned in the letter. So think about that as they read it aloud. And, 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 and place yourself there, and your name is mentioned. And Paul encourages you, commends you, says that you're my friend. You're with me. We have shared experiences, and he's encouraging them. So let's unpack a little bit. Um, verses 1 through, through 2 there, uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of His people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Okay, so Phoebe is a, uh, it's a lady, and, and she lives in Sancria, which is kind of the port city of Corinth. And Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Rome from Corinth, okay? He's in Corinth, and, and Phoebe is going to travel to Rome. And I don't know which came first, the letter or knowing that, that she was going to travel to Rome. She's a wealthier lady. She's most probably a business owner. And she's traveling to Rome, and Paul asks her to carry this letter, okay? They didn't have United States Mail or DHL or FedEx or UPS or anything like that. Like, you, if you had to get a letter to someone, you had to know someone. You had to trust that person. So Paul knows Phoebe. He's enjoyed her support over the years. Um, so, uh, the NIV says benefactor. Some people, some of the translations will say patron. He has supported Paul's gospel. She has supported Paul's gospel work. Um, and, and, and he describes her also as a, not only as a, a patron, someone who has supported, but a deacon or a servant. Okay? Diakonos is the word there. And, and it's not necessarily referring to kind of the, the office of deacon but more the role of that she was a server. She was someone who served. And, and maybe she was in the role as well. We're not sure. But, it, but at this point, he's, he's talking about this, this wealthy lady who, who gives generously, who has supported the gospel, including himself, and who is a servant, who has a servant heart. And he's like, guys, when she arrives in Rome, be good to her, help her out, um, make sure that she's taken care of, Help her out. And um, yeah, so Paul speaks to these believers in Rome. Receive her well. And um, he speaks to, to the kind of person that she is. Now, I wonder if she, you know, had she read the letter? Did she know that this was, she might have been at the reading and she might not have even known that her name was in the letter. And so um, it would have been pretty great for when she reads the letter and hears the letter being read to hear what Paul said of her. Um, verse 3. 
Paul says, uh, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. So um, we've met Priscilla and Aquila in Acts uh, chapter 18. Um, they were actually, they used to live in Rome, okay? They, they were Jews who used to live in Rome. Uh, Emperor Claudius uh, puts out this edict that uh, he doesn't like the Christians in Rome. And so all the Christians in Rome are expelled. They um, meet Paul in Corinth. So it's quite likely that they moved to Corinth. And they meet Paul there. And Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers. And so is Paul. So they made tents. You know, they sewed tents together, linen and skins and stuff like that. And so Paul works with them. And, and we know that Paul spends about a year and a half in Corinth. And so Paul probably goes to work every morning with these two folks. Maybe he works at their home or, or, or they have a common place. But they, they then um, travel to Ephesus together. When Paul moves, he travels to Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila go with Paul to Ephesus. Um, and, and there was a bit of a riot in Corinth, okay? And so I'm not sure. When he says here that um, they risked their lives for me, it might be referring to that, but we're not exactly sure. But at some stage, they risk their lives for Paul, okay? And um, they, they then, after Ephesus, at some stage, they must be back in Rome because here they are, and there's a church meeting in their home, okay? And that's the, the, pretty much what happened in Rome is that you have these churches meeting in homes. And so depending on the size of their home, how many people you can pack into your home, these churches are just meeting. It wasn't the big cathedral. It wasn't the, the public building. It was in homes that they were meeting, okay? And so Paul says, hey, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Um, he knows them. He'd spent a lot of time with them. He'd worked with them. He'd escaped a riot with them. Um, you know, they'd risked their lives for him. So there's some adventure there as well. They've been together, okay? Um, then verses 5, I'm not going to read all those names again, but, um, you know, Mary who worked hard for me, I'll read the, the easy names. Andronicus and Junia. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, uh, they're outstanding amongst the apostles, uh, and they were in Christ before me. And he's like, he recognizes that, that this couple was saved, got, got to know the gospel even before Paul. And he's like, this is cool. And we got to spend time in prison together. So he knows them. They, they were lumped together in prison um, for the gospel. I'm not going to say anything else. Um, but... Paul continues um, with a list of names, um, and, and, and I mean, just look at it, um, Apollius, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. What's he referring to? <clears throat> he knows this guy's story. This guy's been tested. His, his faithfulness and fidelity has, has, has stood the test, um, and he, he talks about all these men and, and women who have Tryphena and Tryphosa, they sisters, um, women who have worked hard in the Lord. And just note his encouragement. Note, I mean, he's talking about real people here. And it's, it's cool. His relationships, folks he spent, maybe folks he's led to the Lord. Uh, you know, the first convert in Asia, going back to, uh, what's his name there? Eponidas, who was the first convert um, to Christ in the province of Asia. Maybe he was the one who, who shared the gospel with him. Uh, folks he'd spent time in prison with. Folks he'd worked together with. Folks he had seen working hard for the gospel. And he greets them. He greets men and women. He greets slaves and wealthy people. He greets folks from Africa 
and, and, and folks from Asia and folks from, from the Middle East. I mean, think about just all the different cultures were there. They were Asian folks. They were African folks. They were Middle Asian folks. They were folks from Greece and, and all over. Um, different economic brackets, groups. <coughs> Definitely a diverse group of people. Verse 13, I like this because there's possibly a really cool story behind this. It says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. Okay. Now, I'm going to make a connection here that I'm, I'm not sure is, is, is we're going to find out in heaven, okay, if this is a connection or not. Um, this is a really beautiful picture here. Uh, Simon of Cyrene, okay, Cyrene is in Africa, in Libya, where Libya is today. Um, he, he's in Jerusalem for the Passover when Jesus is crucified. And the Romans just grab him and say, hey, carry this man's cross. How much does he know about Jesus? Possibly not a lot. He's, he's not from Israel. He's, he's from, from Libya. He's from a long way away. He's from Cyrene. And, but he's a Jew. And he's forced to carry this man's cross. Now, remember what's happened. Jesus has been arrested. He hasn't slept much. He's been flogged. He's been mocked. He's been, been tortured. If you've seen any of the, the, the videos and movies about the crucifixion, um, yeah. He's, he's pretty tired. And now he has to carry a cross, probably a bit bigger than that one. And that one's hollow, okay? So it's like two guys can carry the one because it's hollow. But, but Jesus has to carry a cross probably a lot longer and maybe a bit wider and heavier than that. Uphill, okay? Uphill to Golgotha. And so these Romans grab Simon of Cyrene and force him to carry Jesus' cross. And we don't hear much about Simon of Cyrene, except that he has two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And so this could be the same Rufus. Not, I mean, um, maybe. We're going to ask him in heaven, okay? Either there's two Rufuses there or just one. And, <coughs> and, um, and, and so just imagine if this is Rufus. Imagine what happened to Simon. And we know that in Acts, quite a few places, it says that at Pentecost, there were, there were Jews from Cyrene. And, and was Simon amongst those? And we know that the gospel goes to, to that part of the world. But Simon is just dragged in. He's sucked into the gospel story, not by choice. He's just forced in. And, and maybe what happens is he hangs around and sees the crucifixion, hears of the resurrection, is there at Pentecost. And it changes his life. It changes his family because now possibly, uh, as it says there, sh um, this is Simon's wife, Rufus's mom, has been a mother to Paul. And so maybe it changes his, his whole family to the point that, that now his wife and his sons are all in for the gospel. And there's, do you see relationships? Do you see how the gospel is relational? And it starts affecting families. It starts changing families. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to wait till heaven to find out if it's the same Rufus or not. Um, then he carries on um, with the other names, and I, we're just going to keep on going through those names. Uh, Philologus, lover of the word, uh, Julia and her sister, Olympus and all the people who are with them. Uh, and he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that was just, um, if you've ever been to kind of a Latin, you know, if you go to Spain or Portugal, kiss, kiss, none of this handshake stuff, okay? Um, and, and so quite normal part of the culture, okay? Nothing weird there. And all the churches of Christ send their greetings. 
And so what is, what is plain and obvious from this is that Paul has relationships. Paul has friends that he can write to. He's not kind of the hated persecutor anymore. Now he is this man who has given his life to the gospel, and he has deep, lasting, long-term, intimate relationships with other people because of the gospel, um, because he cares deeply about the gospel, he cares about people. And he has his shared experiences. He's been shipwrecked with people. He spent time in prison with people. He has sown tents with people. He has, he has shared meals with people. Think of, think of all these names here and all the shared experiences. How many times have they prayed together? How many times have they, have they celebrated the Passover together, communion? How many times have they shared the gospel together? How many times have they worshipped together? How many walks between cities and, and, and towns? How many evenings had they spent sitting around a fire or sitting at a home, sharing a meal? Deep and lasting relationships because of the gospel. Yeah. Folks, the gospel is relational at its core. Who did you hear the gospel from? It was another person. And it's usually in the context of relationship. The gospel is always expressed in relationship. And the gospel is lived and shared in relationship. So I want to ask you, how are your relationships? How is your relationship primarily with God? And how are your relationships with others? How are your relationships with other believers in the church? How are your relationships with non-believers, with the lost, with your rowdy neighbors? How are those relationships? How are your relationships in your family, in your extended family, with your neighbors, with the folks you work with? I think there's a, a prerequisite for relationships. And it's a prerequisite for our relationship with God. And it's a prerequisite for our relationships with other people. It's humility. Humility is a prerequisite to our relationship with God. We have to come to the place where we say, God, I, I can't do this. I need you. I need you. Um, Mal and Jerry, I think you'd agree with me. Humility is a prerequisite for marriage. To get through 50 years, Humility is a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite for our relationship with God. We have to submit to Him and then with, with each other. Humility is a prerequisite. I want to encourage you to, if you have not come in humility to God, to do that. To bow the knee and approach God in humility. And I want to encourage you, if you want the relationships that Paul had, as Paul, They've got to be based on humility. See, I don't believe that when, when Paul was Saul in the old days, I don't think there was much humility there. <laughs> I think he was a hard man, and I don't think there were many relationships there. But look, at the, look how the gospel, the relational gospel, God who is a relational God, comes and transforms Paul and thus transforms his relationships. And it's all based on, on humility. Okay. So, 
I have some homework for you. Application part. If you were to write a letter, who would you write it to? Whose names would be in the greeting? Who would you be encouraging? Who would you be commending for their hard work? Who would you write about? Hey, we spent time in prison together. Hey, we spent time working together. And God's been good. Who, who, would, you, who would you write to? Hopefully, um, there's some names popping into your head. And so here's the homework. I want to challenge each one of you to write at least one letter or email. Maybe a Facebook <laughs> message. I, I don't know about that. No, I want to, maybe we'll stay away from a text or, or make a count. Make a count to write a, an email or a letter to someone and encourage them this week. Either someone who is already a believer, and, and, and you can write, I'm not going to put a, a cap on it, but I want you to write at least one letter, okay? At least one letter this week, and this week, okay? Don't let it go till like, I'll do it in February or next year or when I retire, because you never retire. Mel taught us that. <laughs> um, I, I want you to do it this week, uh, before next Sunday, either a written, handwritten letter or a card or an email, and just encourage someone, encourage them in the Lord, encourage them in, in the relationship that, that you share, and just say, hey, I know we spent that time together. We, we, we work together, or we, we serve together, or we're shipwrecked together, or, or, or whatever your story is, whatever that relationship is based on, and, and take it to the next level, and encourage them, pray for them, let them know that they are valued, let them know that, that, that you pray for them, and, and that in, in, in humility, bless them through a letter. Do you guys do that? Yes? Yeah, I need some buy-in here. Yeah, yeah, everyone. If you're a visitor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be someone to this body. It can be anyone. A letter or email this week, okay? Let's do it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have written to us. We have your word. Your word is this, um, this letter of love, this letter of wisdom, this letter of, of encouragement, this letter of commendation. Jesus, your word is for us. It, they, they are your words to us. They encourage us. They, they challenge us. They discipline us. And they transform us. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that your word is not just a, a series of, of words and letters, but your word is, as, as John said, in the beginning was the word. Jesus, you are the word. You are the gospel. You are the good news. And we have this amazing gospel to share with each other. So, Father, I want to pray your blessing on, on us as a, as a body of believers here, on every person here. Father, would we come and encourage one another? Would we commend one another? Would we, would we exhort one another? Would we call each other to, to more and, and, and a deeper relationship with you? And Father, would we do that in, in humility? Jesus said, yeah, all our relationships, the prerequisite is humility. Not to come in arrogance or in, in, in anger or in, in I told you so, but to come in humility. 
So, Father, I pray for a spirit of humility here in our body. I pray for a spirit of humility in our families. Father, that as, as we go to school or, or work or, or whatever we do on Monday morning, that we would have a, an attitude and a spirit of humility, that we would encourage other people because we've been encouraged by you. So, Jesus, I, I pray that you would bless our relationships, our relationship with you, with each other, and Jesus, even our relationship with, with unbelievers, with, with, with the lost. Would you bless those relationships? Would you help us to come alongside them and, and be a blessing, Jesus, to really speak into their lives, to speak life and truth in a humble way, Jesus? Yeah. Lord, thank you for, um, thank you for the gospel that transforms Saul, a hard and an and ugly man, into a, a beautiful believer. Jesus, thank you that we have the fruit of that transformation. We have these letters that he wrote to his friends, his friends in the churches, and, and, and as the gospel spread, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that because of your relationship with Paul, we have the fruit. And so, Father, I pray that you do the same in our lives. You transform our lives. in a beautiful way, Jesus. Yeah, we come now and we just want to worship you and praise you for transformed lives. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.